0: Now then, at 7.45, Washington and Beijing are continuing to clash over trade and regional security just ahead of Today's 30th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre in China, Beijing's Defence Minister Wei Fenghe warned Washington not to meddle in security disputes over Taiwan and the South China Sea, speaking at the Shangri-La Defence Summit in Singapore over the weekend, while the acting US Defence Secretary Patrick Shanahan said Washington would no longer tiptoe around Chinese behaviour in the region. And the conflict goes beyond the continent, into the Arctic as China's been showing its ambitions to expand investment and involvement in the northern region, which has drawn opposition from the U.S. Let's discuss further with Dr. Lawson Brigham, Distinguished Professor of Geography and Arctic Policy at the University of Alaska, Fairbanks, and Global Fellow of the Wilson Center. Thank you for joining us.
1: Yes, thank you, Alex.
0: And what kind of opportunities really does the Arctic offer? You might think of this as as being uh, an expansive wasteland in some respects, uh, certainly beautiful to look at, certainly alluring for explorers. But for Beijing, commercially and scientifically, what is the motivation?
1: Full of resources. Top of the world is full of uh, oil, gas, uh, hard minerals, uh, you you name it, maybe even fresh water in the future. So it's, I mean, my, my sense is that uh, China's looking for another source for natural resources uh, to fuel its economy and its large population into the future.
0: How much progress has China made, though, in in building its Silk Road northward, the so-called Polar Silk
1: Road? Well, the Polar Silk Road, I mean, uh, it's a novel idea, I guess I would say. I mean, the place is really... The Northern Sea Route in the Russian Maritime Arctic, to call it something different, is uh, a bit of hubris, but nonetheless, uh, they've made some progress. I guess they've sent a few ships through the Northern Sea Route, uh, carrying goods and services from uh, the Pacific to the Atlantic to test the route, um, and uh, of course, China is investing in the Yamal Peninsula in the Russian Arctic, investing in. Uh, Uh, LNG development there, and and, and looking and has a long-term contract, of course, for LNG to be delivered from the Russian Arctic uh, to China. So, so their interests. They they made some progress with with what they call this Polar Silk Road, but but there's there's no question that such a Polar Silk Road won't revolutionize global trade. I mean, we'll have the Suez Canal and the Panama Canal through the next several centuries. The the challenge really is that uh, the Arctic is still ice-covered despite the profound change in sea ice, uh, you know, being forced by anthropogenic climate change. But but nonetheless, it's still ice-covered for more than half the year. And so that's a barrier for, really, global trade on a a huge scale.
0: A very physical barrier. But China has been pursuing... Ties with Iceland, Greenland, Denmark. Um, Tell us more about the way in which China has been leading its diplomacy with those regions. Well,
1: it's it's to develop infrastructure where they could have uh, some trade points, some ports, uh, and develop the natural resources in those places, particularly uh, Greenland, and uh, have uh, a port or uh, uh, available infrastructure in a place like Iceland maybe develop an airport in in, in New Greenland. And and so uh, those initiatives, I think, are related to having presence and influence, but particularly related to facilitating um, the development of natural resources. Uh, China, of course, we haven't spoken about this yet, but uh, is a reasonably large player now in, in, in scientific research, both in Antarctica and the Arctic. Uh, China is a leading country in the International Arctic Science Committee uh, and is is involved uh, more than any time in its history in, in uh, polar research.
0: Now, to a certain extent, if some of that physical barrier, the ice, was to uh, recede a little or melt, that would actually uh, potentially boost some of those sea routes. Is it cynical to suggest that anyone would would want that to happen, though, for, for the wrong reasons.
1: Well, I mean, it's, it's correlated with climate change, of course. I mean, it's, it's the use of uh, greenhouse gases, uh, the increase in greenhouse gases and the warming of the planet, which is reducing the, the ice cover at the top of the world. And, and, and so uh, provides uh, potential longer seasons of navigation. Uh, but, but all of it, whatever it is, is driven by economics. The economics of natural resource development, in other words, uh, global commodities prices, but also the economics of the global shipping enterprise, which is uh, complicated. And uh, I, I think what people misinterpret is that that uh, the global container shipping liner companies that move a vast amount, the majority of the world trade carried in containers, that they would in fact use the Arctic, and that's not the case. I mean, most of the ships using the Arctic and gaining greater access and longer-season navigation are ships like tankers, bulk carriers carrying copper, nickel, tin, zinc, etc., and, and, of course, LNG carriers, uh, some modern icebreaking <clears throat> huge ships that are carrying LNG out of the Russian Arctic uh, to global markets uh, in the Pacific and global markets, of course, in the Atlantic and Europe. Well, it's it's, something uh, we've heard a lot about. uh, This this, uh, global trade route, Arctic routes, is is somewhat misinterpreted.
0: Okay. I mean, it's something we've heard a lot about here, Uh, potential piping in gas from from Russia, but we still have our major political obstacles with North Korea to deal with on that front. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about the the geopolitical situation between the US and China in a meeting with foreign ministers in in Finland not too far from the Arctic Circle at the end of last month US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said that China's been carrying out aggressive behaviour in the region uh, pointing to Beijing's actions also in other parts of the world and reportedly that raised an eye roll from delegates in the room and analysts who've been following Chinese activities this was reported by the New York Times Uh,
1: it would because uh uh, generally uh, in the and uh, you're speaking about the Arctic Council ministerial It was held in in finland it, It's the Arctic Council uh all led by the eight Arctic states and of course, at this point uh, at that meeting uh eight foreign ministers showed up, including uh, our secretary of state and 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 what he did, I think, was cast this new rubric and theme by our defense department. And 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 threat uh, interpreted by U.S. defense officials that 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 we have a new great power rivalry between uh, China, of course, and and Russia and the United States, and the United States viewing the cooperative ventures between Russia and China as as a threat. Uh, We we have to step back and say, look, the top of the world still today is the most peaceful place on earth, uh, including, of course the antarctic continent so we have these two peaceful places one has a antarctic treaty and maintains the peacefulness the, the question is and and how the secretary of state articulated this is how this great global new rivalry how does it move into the arctic i mean myself and, and others see it, uh, the arctic as economic opportunity and and uh, uh certainly it's a uh, ocean space It's part of the global security arena it's been that way uh for decades for f- 50 years and so and we we operate uh, and other countries nuclear submarines in the arctic we have air power we the united states have air power in the arctic uh, not much of that has changed since the second since the, the cold war uh and and the question is really how much of a security change has there been? Uh, it, it, it's hard to tell. Uh, there, there's been military security buildup in the United States, in Alaska, and across the Russian Arctic. Uh, but but I would say it's not clear how much military buildup has been by the Chinese in the Arctic. They've operated some research vessels, of course. Uh, they're investing in... Uh, infrastructure and and, and, uh, commercial development of of the area. Um, It's not 100% clear how they view it militarily. Their Arctic white paper, so to speak, their Arctic strategy that was uh, uh, released in in January speaks to, uh, does not speak at all to military uh, issues. For the Arctic does not mention the word military. Right. Or, or, uh, so, so it's kind of fascinating, uh, different interpretations. But I, I see it just as our Defense Department and, and our uh, Secretary of State kind of pushing this theme of, of this uh, new rivalry, a global rivalry, and, and, and uh, they see uh, part of it as extending into the Arctic.
0: Understand. Well, it certainly would bring new meaning to the term Cold War, wouldn't it, if tensions were to ever spill out there. Dr. Lawson Brigham from the University of Alaska Fairbanks Global Fellow Wilson Center, thank you very much.
1: Yes, thank you for the opportunity and good morning to everyone.
0: Likewise. Um, We are getting some details from Hungary. Just to let you know, the Foreign Ministry has confirmed a man whose body was recovered Monday morning in the Danube is... A man in his 60s who was one of the Korean passengers as part of a tour group that went missing after that boat capsized last week. The man was found 102 kilometers away from the site of the sinking, just to give you an indication. Authorities are still trying to identify a female body that was found nearer the boat's stern. This Morning continues next.